Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. Hi everyone, it's Amy here. Um, Sadly, this will probably be the last intro I do for this podcast as we are currently in the works of handing it over um, to somebody else to take it over. So the lovely Simone will be taking over the podcast. Um, We will be doing a little handover episode, I think, and then that will be it from Tiff and I. So... um, this journey has just been absolutely insane. Um, we have, Tiff and I, our lives just got very busy and we got very overwhelmed with other things that we have started doing and looking after our children and things like that. So um, it just, unfortunately, this little love child of ours has fallen to the wayside and we feel that it deserves better. So we put the call out on our um Instagram and asked for someone to put their hand up and Simone did and I am just honestly so happy that um, because she's going to be absolutely perfect and I just cannot wait to see what she does with the podcast. Um, You guys are going to be in such good hands. So I'll just take this moment to also say a massive thank you to everyone who has listened so far. We actually just clocked over uh, 10,000 downloads. So it's just amazing to me that while we haven't actually put out any new content in a long time, (laughs) that it sort of continued on and and continued to provide support for everybody. So I'm just, I'm really stoked that Tiff and I were able to create this and to put this out there for you guys. Um, So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. I appreciate everyone who's put their hand up and said that they want to be on the podcast. It's absolutely amazing. Um, So now that that's said, before I start crying, um, Today's episode, we chat to Kelly. Um, Kelly is an, another um, incredible human being. Um, she is um, a mum of twins. She's an author, um, a speaker, and an infertility advocate. So, you know, all round, like she just puts me to shame because she just can do so much. So she's actually written um, a novel or a book, sorry, um, explaining her journey to her children. So it's called Long Awaited Child. Um, we'll pop the link in the show notes. Um, and she also has a couple of socials that we'll put there so you guys can have a look and reach out to her. Um, she did six full stim cycles. Um, before that, she tried Clomid. So her story is huge. Um, she ended up having to use an egg donor and then so today we discuss how Kelly felt using an egg donor and not being able to really be the biological mother of her her children she's still the mother but she's just not the biological mother so we talk a lot about her emotions around that initially and and how they really worked through that 
Um, her story is well worth a listen. Even if you aren't considering using an egg donor, her journey is so valuable and she has so, so much to offer the infertility community. So we're really grateful that she took the time to chat with us and to teach us all that she knows. Um, so we hope you guys enjoy listening to today's episode. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on IVF Tales today, Kelly. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Um, would you just like to get us started by introducing yourself to our listeners and telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Kelly Harridan. I live on the Sunshine Coast up in Queensland. I live here with uh, my partner Ian and we are very blessed to now have twins, Bane and Daya. They're seven years old now. Um, would you like to just get us started with your fertility story? So when you guys, you know, started talking about having a family and maybe when you, you know, started to think that something might not be quite right? Yeah, sure. Uh, our story is quite an in-depth story and I always say that it also took us on quite the adventure. Um, mm-hmm. So it started when I was 31, uh, Ian and I had been in a relationship for quite a while and and started talking about trying for a baby. Uh, So, you know, just at the beginning I look back and I always remember how, I don't know if naive is the word, or I just took it for granted that, you know, being female my body would just naturally do what it was designed to do and I thought I'd be making a pregnancy announcement to my family within you know, a few months' time at, at Christmas it was going to be. So I was quite excited to do that and it just didn't actually work out to plan for us at all. So we uh, firstly then, you know, after trying for some time, went on to see a doctor and were referred to a um, specialist, a fertility specialist. And after looking into a few things, like Ian um, was checked and he was okay there and... Uh, we then decided to go down the IVF path. We didn't even look at anything really, sorry, I'm incorrect there, sorry, ladies. Um, we, we decided to try Clomid, sorry, first. Um, and that didn't work for us either. I had quite a lot of um, side effects from that and uh, we then went on to IVF. We didn't try IUI or anything. We just thought that we would just go straight into IVF and our clinic also thought that was a great idea. So we had a clinic here on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, so we did IVF and, you know, once again, I thought that the first cycle would work for us and it didn't. That actually really, really hit me very hard, that first negative pregnancy test after doing IVF. It was like, you think this is science and it's going to work right and there was no reason that we had found as to why I could not fall pregnant. So that didn't work. We then continued on um, with that clinic doing a few cycles of IVF and then, um, yeah, none of those actually worked. And we had some really devastating results where, you know, we weren't getting a large number of eggs each time along the way so each time my medications were increased and they kept a very close eye on me close to uh, the egg retrieval time so they were doing uh, scans and blood tests quite often it felt like I was going in to get some you know some form of test every day which makes it hard when you're also trying to work 
and also keep that part of your life quite private. Um, I was very private in our um, IVF journey. And then after so many cycles uh, that did not, you know, that did not eventuate, we took a bit of a break from IVF, um, as, as a lot of couples can do. You just sort of feel like you need to have that break from that routine that you go through with injections and, you know, you kind of lose a bit of fun out of your relationship and out of life because everything is just focusing on what you're doing because that is your major priority at the time. So we took a little bit of a break and we went on to seminars for adoption and also foster care. Onto that, we went to adoption and foster care seminars. With foster care, I think it was me really um, clutching at straws uh, when we sort of really looked into it and knowing that, you know, people who are foster care parents, I have so much respect and admiration for them, but knowing that, you know, we could be handed a child and knowing that it's not a shortcut to adoption, which a lot of people think it can be, uh, and, not, you know, handed a child to care for and then that child could be taken off, taken off you and given to another family. It just is all, all back to their parents. It just is really heartbreaking to think that, you know, you could love that child and have that child taken away. So I do have a lot of um, admiration for people that do that, um, whether they have a family of their own or not. We also looked into adoption in Queensland. With that, we went along to a seminar, which we found really um, informative, but also very hard in the way that we saw, you know, there was a man up on stage speaking at the time about his journey through adoption and how he had two beautiful children through adoption and then we uh, and how he was about to adopt a third and that was kind of like oh can someone else please have a go you know of having a family so that was kind of hard and to told that be told that we could be you know five seven years on the wait list was also really hard as well and at the time things have thankfully changed but at the time that we were looking into adoption and did put in our application, we were told that you could not go through any IVF uh, procedures at that time. So it was kind of one or the other and we weren't really at the time prepared to stop or consider stopping IVF. So we put in our applications with uh, the adoption services and, you know, we started to be really scrutinised on every little part of our life, uh, which I understand why they do. And... After a while, we just sort of felt that we may be ready to go back to IVF and try that. So we actually did withdraw our application with adoption services um, so we could continue on with IVF, which we did and which we had more negative results. Uh, after a while then, um, we decided to have another break and we also then packed up everything in our life in Queensland. We just felt that we'd had enough of our life as we knew it, where everything revolved around our IVF cycles. And we decided one night to uh, pack everything up and fit what we could into our four-wheel drive and off we headed to WA. So that was just a, a really, wow. yeah, people say, oh, I have a break with IVF, but we had a real break and we went, you know, packed up, drove across the country and, I don't know, I had this real inner desire to go to Perth and I always say at the time I didn't know why because we didn't really know anyone that had been there or we knew no one that we lived there so we quit our jobs and everything and and moved over knowing no one just the two of us so 
it was kind of a, a great drive over. We made a bit of a holiday and we got back to just being Ian and I again. Uh, we settled in Perth really well. I just love that city so much. And we got jobs and had an apartment, made friends. It was really good. And we then decided to, you know, that maybe we might start trying again. So we had at this stage, uh, even before we left Queensland, we'd seen a story on 60 Minutes about um, two gentlemen who had uh, gone through international surrogacy to have a family and uh, they were a gay couple. So we sort of always had that story in the back of our mind and but we sort of put it to the side and didn't think too much of it. When we were in Perth, uh, we thought we would maybe consider doing that. Um, but as that sort of happened, I also had a lot of um, a lot of bleeding and trouble, so I went and had it all checked out. And there was discovered the specialist discovered there was a lot of cysts on my uterus, so I had to then go through surgery to have those removed. And he said to me at the time you would never, ever have fallen pregnant with these there. And that really just devastated me because he couldn't tell me how long they'd been there, but it was like, have I been going through all these procedures in Queensland up until this point and no one had picked up on it before and or gone and done all these tests on me? It was just really heartbreaking. So I had the surgery and had them removed. Um, after that, we did sort of have the conversation about international surrogacy again. But after that surgery, I felt like I owed it to myself to try one more time um, with IVF. And we did. We found a clinic in Perth and everything seemed to be going really well. Um, we were really happy with it and um, went in, had the procedures, had my egg retrieval. Each time, you know, once again, there was never a large number of eggs that were collected. Uh, so we uh, went through, had the transfer, embryo transfer, and it's during that two-week wait, I think, you know, especially when you've gone through quite a few IVF stuff, because you, you really get to know your body. And as females, we know our body. And I just knew during that two-week wait, which is such a <laughs> torturous time as it is, I knew it hadn't worked. So we decided to, you know, maybe consider this surrogacy was always in the back of our mind around this time. So after we got the negative result from our clinic in Perth, the doctor actually offered me um, free cycles because there was a new trial in Australia for natural killer cells. And it is a lot more popular now. However, at the time, it was a, a new thing that was being researched. And it was explained to me that with these natural killer cells, if you have um, a high level of these cells, um, it actually you know, increases, it's an increase in your immune system. So, and it made sense because I literally never got sick. And so what it happens, it, it's great in some ways because, you know, they say these cells can kill off any foreign thing in your body, such as a flu or maybe even cancer or something. However, in this case, when it's an embryo that's implanted in your body, the natural killer cells can attack it. And it's something that I found very, very interesting at the time and I still do to this day. Like if someone talks to me about their journey, it's one thing and they've had continuous miscarriages or continuous failed IVF cycles, it's one thing that I suggest to them 
please, there's so many tests that can be done now, but it's a test that I really believe in. I've read a lot of research on it, watched a lot of videos. Um, I know some IVF clinics in Australia are very big into being tested for it. So I was offered to go on this trial. However, at the time, after being just had so many negatives and just being knocked down after knocked down, I just felt that I couldn't do it to my body but also my mind again. I was just getting to the point where I just felt completely destroyed. So even though I would have been on that trial, it would have been exciting. However, I just could not go through another negative um, IVF cycle. So I turned down that offer, which, you know, I still have moments today where I go, I wonder how, you know, it's one of those sliding door moments of life. I wonder what would have happened if I'd gone down that path. However, in saying that, um, the path we've chosen, I now would not change for the world. So after that, we decided to look further into surrogacy uh, within uh, internationally, so not within Australia. Uh, the reason being we felt there was a lot of red tape within Australia of having to prove why you needed a surrogate. And for in my case, I was classed as unexplained infertility. There was actually no reason um, that they could find. So it started to look like international surrogacy was going to be a lot easier for us. So we did some research in which countries that we would go with, found our country, then decided to start inquiring about it, which we did. And then um, start things start to you know flow quite smoothly. And I even look back and go, wow, that time of doing international surrogacy at times felt so much easier than all the IVF cycles that I went through and trying to explain why I needed to be either late to work in the morning or leave early and trying to keep that part of my life away from my work colleagues. So um, yeah, we looked into international surrogacy and ended up going along those lines. And we also had the option of uh, doing, you know, using my eggs or maybe using an egg donor. And this was a really, really tough decision for me, but one that I say I did have to make quickly, but it was also a good idea that, you know, that I did have to make that decision quickly. It was, um, you know, I didn't overthink anything and I just went, right, what's going to give us the best option? And knowing that every single time we had an IVF cycle, we only got a small number of eggs uh, with international surrogacy. You know, it's not a cheap exercise to do. We went, let's go for our best options. And so then we went, decided to choose an egg donor as well. And so egg donor, and, you know, that was really hard because to think, you know, you're not going to be the biological mother of your children is a really, you know, it's a big thing to take on and to accept. Uh, so, yeah, knowing that my children were not going to be biologically mine or our baby uh, was, you know, it was a really hard thing and it took me quite a long time to accept and even though I would not change things for the world, it is still something that, you know, I look at my children and they are nothing like me to look at. But, um, you know, at the same time, you know, they're the most beautiful little things. And this is probably the little part of the story that does get me a little bit choked up. Um, so, yeah, and then also knowing that having a surrogate and not being able to carry your children is also a big thing, you know. We grow up as, as girls just assuming that that's the path our life will eventually take and to know that that's not actually 
what's going to happen for me was really hard. But I have accepted it. I mightn't seem like I have <laughs> right now, but I have accepted it. And I have two beautiful children from the process. Um, we were very blessed in that when we did international surrogacy, using a donor egg and a surrogate, that our surrogate fell pregnant first time. Uh, so that was, we feel very blessed with that. Um, and, you know, once she fell pregnant and we came back to Australia during, you know, the time of her, term of her pregnancy, we just got on with our life as we knew it. So, you know, I was back to work and back to socialising, but always in the back of my mind, I was always thinking of our surrogate Manu. And, um, yeah, so then we got a call one night, everything, you know, we had moments during her pregnancy that she was in and out of hospital. But we were always um, informed by the clinic that she was doing well, that because their main priority is the health and care of the surrogate, that they did actually admit them to hospital. Where in Australia, if you may be not well or the doctor's a bit concerned, they may send you home to have bed rest. She was in and out of hospital a little bit. Um, and at this particular day, you know, after we'd gone through all the steps and we were waiting, getting closer to the due date, we got a phone call from our clinic and Ian and I were just getting into bed one night and we got a call saying that our twins had been born. Wow. Yeah, so... Was that early, was that early or was that on time? Seven weeks early. So we knew oh, goodness, that yeah. Manu was in hospital and that afternoon, because all the communication with our clinic internationally was via email, they only ever phoned you if it was really great news such as a birth or um, in an unfortunate situation, um, bad news if, say, the surrogate did mass miscarry. So um, to have, and I emailed the clinic that afternoon going, you know, what is, um, how's, how's Manu doing? I was always asking about her and sending over little gifts for her. And they said, no, she's well, she's resting, she's well. And uh, so we went out for dinner thinking everything was fine, got home that night and then we got the call that the babies had been born. So it was really life just changed instantly in that moment and because we didn't even know the sex of the babies, uh, oh, wow. the moment that the, when I answered the phone and the doctor was said to me, oh, congratulations, I can still hear his voice in my head saying, congratulations, you have a little boy and a little girl. <laughs> I just am blown away that... Yeah, it just happened and you kind of didn't expect it. So did you guys just then um, kind of jump on a plane like the next day? Like what did you do? Um, it was really um, one of those real surreal moments in your life. And um, sorry, I get really choked up when I talk about those times. It's okay. Um, you would have been quite worried, I'm assuming, you know, like not really. Worried, yeah, when she was no- in hospital, I was very, very worried. And- yeah. And um, but this particular time, so we we got that call, and you know it was instantly ringing our family and our friends, close friends that were aware of our um, story. So far, we still hadn't let a lot of people in. Uh, we never truly believed that we were going to be parents and have a baby until we had that baby back at home with us. So we had over time become quite well, even from the beginning. Sorry, I should say from the very beginning, I was very private about our story I always um was ashamed and which is such a crazy emotion but at the time it's the truth I was ashamed my body was not doing you know what it was meant to naturally do and that 
I had friends and my sisters around me who, you know, in my eyes, I don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but at the time it seemed like everyone was falling pregnant so easily. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we did, um, yeah, it took us a few days to get over to India, which is where our, our babies were, and we had to do a, a few tests in Australia uh, to do with DNA testing because the law uh, was that at least one of the intended parents had to be the biological parent, and in that case, Ian was. So uh, we had to do some testing for him for the test results to be sent over, and so by the time, and then you know, bring all our travel forward. So by the time we got got on the plane, they were actually nine days old. <laughs> wow! Yeah, which was really um, hard. I felt like I was already failing in the the mummy department because I wasn't there, you know, to be with my babies. But in our first visit to India, we did go to the hospital to see um, how things were and we could see how well they were cared for. So we knew that they were being very well looked after. It's just, you know, imagine your baby's been born and you're not being there for nine days. And so we got on a plane, we went over. The next morning we got a taxi to the hospital where they were and we were standing there at the door looking through the window all gowned up and everything ready to go in and we sort of could see these little twins lying in a crib together and we're like I wonder if that's you know our little babies and um, the nurse came and got us and took us in and they were they're our little babies and I was handed our little boy to hold and Ian was handed our little girl. Wow, that must have just been a pretty incredible moment to finally be holding your children that you've, you know, sort of yearned for all these years and worked so hard for and just to finally have them in your arms, especially with the whirlwind birth and things like that. That would have been a really amazing moment. Yeah, it was. And it's one of those moments in life that you would do anything to go back and have that moment again because after everything, you know, this is such a short version of our real story but after everything that we had been through over the eight years to you know have a baby here we were sitting you know in another country holding two little babies that were ours and it, it's just such an amazing feeling and, and we took to this you know parenting thing really well and we didn't actually have any classes you know most people go along to classes and they um, start to form mothers groups and all that I had none of that beforehand so one day I was just working you know in a this full-on career that I was working hard in and then the next day I was a mother. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think sometimes um, surrogacy, you know, isn't sort of looked at from that perspective. Um, I think the fact that, you know, sometimes when you carry a baby, you've got that time to sort of even sort of just mentally prepare for it because, you know, you're carrying it and all of that sort of stuff. Whereas I think surrogacy from that yeah, it's, it's really hard for some people because they don't get that. And we interviewed um, a couple a few, like oh, probably a couple of months ago now, and they were saying that um, they found it really hard because they wanted to be there for the pregnancy as much as they could, but they their surrogate was in the US. So they couldn't and they couldn't be there for all the scans and, you know, the, the baby kicks and things like that. And they found that really hard. So... Um, I can only imagine how it must have felt for you to just sort of just all of a sudden have your whole identity shift. And, I mean, we all go through the same thing, whether or not you birth your child or not. Um, 
you just your identity shifts so suddenly and it's just with your whole lead up to that it just must have been kind of just maybe put you into a little bit of shock as well you know yeah it did I felt um even from the very beginning though I felt like I had this real connection with our surrogate even though I hadn't even met her um because the clinic chose the surrogate for us they asked if we wanted to find our own but we we're in a foreign country so we we the yeah. clinic do all that for us and you know I had a real connection to her and from the very moment that I knew that we had a successful pregnancy and were pregnant like from that moment which was another emotional um, moment in our lives um, I just loved those babies instantly and even though you know it was really really hard not you know having that pregnancy yourself and having those beautiful moments but you know um, it is what it is sort of thing with us and I sort of had that mentality the whole way through our journey like we were you know my resilience just really must have kicked in when I look back over those eight years because we were knocked down so many times and we had so many lows in those years and we just consistently got back up and just kept on going kept going right maybe we need to try something new maybe I need to do something different and and we did and just that hope got us right there at the end and um, we now feel so blessed and so lucky especially to come out you know with little boy and girl twins because <laughs> it was going to be um, you know we started when we were I was 31 and you know I was 39 when we had Bain and Daya so we sort of felt with age and the cost of everything that we'd gone through that once we knew our surrogate was pregnant this was going to be our one and only shot of having a baby so there was not going to be any going back and doing it again, which a lot of couples do. Um, and we may have been just a, a one-child family, which is it, we would have been perfectly happy with, but we're extremely best blessed to have twins. Yeah. Did you worry um, while going through the surrogacy process, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you sort of had to sort of process the fact that the children or the child wouldn't be biological yours, biologically yours. Did you sort of worry, you know, subconsciously or, or consciously even that maybe you wouldn't bond and connect with the children the way you have? I, to be honest, no, I didn't because I always said to myself, they were my babies. So I never let myself think of it in any other way. Um, you know, sometimes I, I look at my daughter and, and she looks nothing like me, but I get told by so many people that, you know, she is so like me in other ways. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, I didn't have that at all. Sometimes I do worry about, you know, they know little snippets of their story. And However, when it comes to the time that we tell them the full story, that sort of concerns me a little bit more. Yep. Just in the sense that you're worried about maybe their reactions or um, how they're going to process it? Yeah, a bit of both of those. Um, you know, how, you know, a very, very close relationship with both of them. Like they're so beautiful and. You, whether that affects them or whether they just go, okay, that's fine and just get on with life and or whether they process it, you know, with our boy Bane, he'll be the, probably the one that will go, okay, that's okay, mummy, you know, and he'll just get on with life. My, my daughter, she may be the one that sort of um, knowing her personality now, she may be 
the one that processes it a little bit different and may struggle with that a little bit more. And then also growing up to, to be female herself as she gets older and continuing processing that. But, yeah, that's something that um, does play on my mind. But we will deal with those situations at the time. Um, I don't think it will cause any negative repercussions. However, you know, it's something big that they're going to have to both process one day. Oh, of course. And I can see how that sort of would sort of play on your mind a little bit, you know, on the odd occasion, um, just because it is such a big thing to sort of chat about, but not only that, but just the whole lead up to having your children, like hearing that whole story in its entirety and how much those two were wanted, you know, like you guys went above and beyond, um, to have your kids so I think that story in itself is just an incredible thing and hopefully you know will make them just realize how quite loved they were before they were even existing you know so and also writing my book you know it will be something that they will be able to read one day Mm -hmm. and know and understand the, the full story yeah, exactly. So you've been really transparent about it. So I can't imagine that, you know, you've tried to hide anything and, you know, it's all sinister and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. you know, like they sort of did way back in the 50s where it was like, oh, you know. It's a different world now, definitely. And oh yeah, um, before, you know, before they were born, I was so private about everything. And, you know, I, but I had so many questions, you know, of the when are you having a baby and as we got older as well. You know, we had a lot of those questions. And so even when our surrogate was pregnant, we didn't even let it out to the world. It was not until we then were home in Perth and a lot of our, our, you know, solid friends and our family were all still on the East Coast. So when we got back to Perth with our twins, it was, you know, a few weeks after that we were home that I actually, you know, took a little picture of them and, and put it on Facebook and said, you know, just introducing day in and day out to the world. And, you know, we just, we got some beautiful um, comments and things. However, we still got a, a little bit of negativity from, from some friends who were a little bit hurt that they weren't, you know, included in this information beforehand. And I've had to sort of really let that go because I had to do what got us through and think about first, you know, making sure that everyone knew what we were doing was definitely not a priority of mine. It was really personal story for Ian and I at the time. And so, and then I had a lot of questions because people could see by the features of the babies, you know, I'm, I'm blonde haired and they've got all these dark features. So um, people could see, you know, that, well, they're either not biologically Kelly's or Ian's or we didn't even tell them that they were donor egg or surrogacy because we just didn't really believe that people needed to know all the information. We just said these are our babies. So a lot of people assumed they were also adopted. And however they came into the world is really at the time I used to say it's no one else's business. And yeah. I didn't get a lot of questions of um, are they yours? Now, after eight years of going through what we did, to then have people ask you, you know, and these are friends going, oh, so are they your babies? <laughs> yep, they are. <laughs> you know, you would never ask that of anyone who had adopted a baby or they were your no. babies and I would just say, yeah, of course they're our babies, you know. But that was a real another, you know, knife straight through the heart so that people could even ask such a question. So, you know, but I had a lot of uh, 
personal development through that time, I think, because I really had to get over a, a lot of things. And, you know, now, you know, I do share my story so openly, but it did take me a few years to get to that point. Yep. Is there a particular, you know, situation or pivotal moment that you can sort of remember that made you change your mind from wanting to sort of be so private to then writing a book about your journey? Uh, it was as I got older and more me accepting um, that my journey was nothing to be ashamed of um, and that what I went through is something to be proud of rather than hidden. And also during those years, there was really nothing out there for me to connect with. I didn't know anyone who had even been through IVF or that I was aware of because maybe they were also being private about their story. So I felt like it was a story that I needed to share so openly and in my book there is not one little thing that I have left out. It's a very emotional read but, um, you know, I wanted to share my story to give hope to others that are going through those same or similar struggles to know that, you know, maybe look into other options. It's not as hard because people would go, oh, my IVF's failed, what do I do? Or And they might just give up. So I want them to know that maybe look into these stories, um, into these options, sorry, and, you know, it could be what works for them like it did for us. And it's actually when I look back, the whole surrogacy journey, yes, we were blessed that our surrogate fell pregnant first go. Um but it was so much easier than going through all those cycles of IVF. Yeah, so can you just maybe walk us through your egg donation process, so how you and your husband chose your egg donor? Sure. So uh, once we chose our clinic and then we decided to go down the path of um, having an egg donor, our clinic actually sent us um, profiles. Um, So it was really just a photo and... Um, a very, very small snippet of information on the egg donor and then we just chose from there. It was, um, you know, something that you go, oh, if I was doing it in Australia, you know, maybe I'd find someone who had similar features to me but these were Indian women (laughs) so nothing like me at all. So we just, we found one and, you know, so that was actually, you know, a a little bit of fun if anything (laughs) going through and, and choosing our egg donor. And, and um, yeah, we, we had to put, I think, five down, five choices, and then they would then let, find out who was available and who was um, ready to go through the processes. Uh, our first choice was available. So, yeah, the clinic then did everything, and we had to go over um, to sign official documents so we did fly over to India initially to uh, sign these um, law-abiding documents, um, which is quite a lot of paperwork, but we went through those with the lawyer. The clinic was very, very thorough. It was um, good to see that, you know, all the steps and all, everything was covered. We didn't meet our donor, and our donor is actually a different lady to the surrogate as well. Yeah. Um, did you ever end up meeting your surrogate after she gave birth? Yes. We did. Uh, once we had our babies back at the hotel with us, we were given the opportunity um, to go in to the clinic and meet our surrogate. Uh, we then asked if, you know, did Manu want to us to bring the babies or was that too hard for her? Um, this, story, this part of my story really chokes me up. Um, 
So we asked if Manu wanted to see the babies or if she didn't, or if she wanted to just see them but not hold them. So we asked what she felt more comfortable with doing. She did say to us that she wanted to see them but not hold them. So we were in a waiting room at the clinic and she came in and oh, it was such a beautiful moment but it just literally breaks my heart at the same time because when she walked in and she saw them, she just had that, that real bend over um, in heartache pain. Sorry, ladies. No, don't apologise. You take your time. It's an emotional story. It would have been hard and being a woman, like you said, you felt really connected to her, I think. So, yeah, I can understand why this would be hard to talk about. Yeah, it's very hard for me because, um, yeah, being a woman, like you say, being a woman and um, and having and having to see the, the look in her face, it really... Um, like I, I cried. She, she, you know, had a cry at the beginning, and then she pulled herself together. But I was a, I was a blubbering mess the whole time that she was in the room with us. Because um, I just put myself in her shoes of, you know, carrying someone else's baby, and then being from another country, knowing that once you say goodbye, you know, that's kind of it. Yeah, of course. I think. Sometimes we can do that. We can be really empathetic and we come at it from our own perspective and we think about how that would fit, make us feel. So, Yeah, totally. So that's exactly what I did in that moment. And, um, you know, I still have moments. I, I, there's not a day that goes by that I not, do not think of her. Every year on their birthday, I said, sorry. Yeah, every year on their birthday I send photos to the clinic and hope that they do pass them on to her because we are not allowed to have her um, private address um, and information. We know her name and everything, but everything goes through the clinic, which is I understand why. And um, so, yeah, that was kind of a really hard moment, but I've got photos to share with Dane and Dale when they're older and um, also such a beautiful moment. And... You know, I know that she got a lot out of it to help her and her family in the future um, financially. So that's something that I I look back and go, well, I know that I've also helped in a small way. But what she has done for us is, is you know, so beautiful. And we, we feel so grateful that um, we had such a lovely surrogate. Um, if we could just backtrack a little bit and just with your like testing and fertility and the surgery and everything, um, your diagnosis was still unexplained. They never found any. Yes. No, there was never any um, any reason why I couldn't fall pregnant that they could find. So I was definitely classed um, in the unexplained infertility <laughs> um, category. So, yeah, that's kind of really hard. I feel sorry for people that, um, you know, my heart really goes out to them that are put in that category because it's kind of like you're trying to do all the right things and, you know, I was going to acupuncture and I was trying herbs and doing all the things that anyone, if anyone suggested anything, I was doing it. And so it's really hard to know that no matter what you do, it still isn't working for you. 
basically, did they end up transferring, and this is just purely out of curiosity, did they transfer two eggs into the surrogate or one, and did that one split? Oh, well, no, sorry, I've just answered my own question because they're male and female, so. <laughs> I should have listened more in high school science, seriously. <laughs> asked if they're identical so it's okay <laughs> I, know. I know I was just like oh my god sometimes you know you just open your mouth before you think about it <laughs> okay so now I'm ready to move on then okay, <laughs> um, so you talked a little bit about like your friendships and family and um, sharing information with them what was it like the impact of fertility treatment and then the surrogacy and everything on your intimate relationship? Uh, well, intimately, you know, as so many people going through IVF cycles say, you know, all intimacy and, you know, all the beautiful side of being a couple can go out the window because it's all about temperatures and the right time and everything. So I think, um, though, overall, Ian and I did cope quite well in that we ha- we kind of had a bit of a tag team going when one of us was feeling a bit deflated by the whole thing the other one seemed to be the stronger one at that moment um and even though you know Ian was all tested as okay um so it was obviously more something wrong with my body um that was nothing that he ever held against me he was always very supportive um during those years and um if anything and especially at the moments where we just had a break and you know we packed up and moved to the other side of the country that was actually you know the right thing for our relationship because it just brought it back us back to being us again so if people say you know oh I'm just so done with IVF I, I will often say to them you know just have a break you know and and don't say that you're done because you don't know how you're going to feel in a short time. And so, yeah, that was really good for us. And I didn't mention earlier, like I said, that I had this real inner desire to move to um, Perth and I, I didn't know why. And once we started looking into the international surrogacy, at the time it was not legal in all states of Australia. So Queensland, where we were from, and, and, and live again now, uh, it was not legal. But to do international surrogacy was legal in WA. So I don't know if there was some, if that's part of my inner desire to move to Perth um, without me being aware of it at the time. So, because I think it would have been in Queensland and that just would have been another knockdown for us as well. Of, um, gee, we live in the wrong state for this. So we were lucky that we had decided to move to Perth at the time. Wow, that's a bit of an uncanny um, progression of things, isn't it? Yeah, wow. I always look back and go, I wonder, you know, if that was something out there in the world telling me that I needed to yeah. move across the country. <laughs> <laughs> Just a sudden move, yeah, yeah that's crazy. Um, and so with the people that you did tell about your journey, um, you know, I mean, because I'm assuming you, you told a couple of people, did you find that they were supportive or it took you a little bit to sort of educate them on what you were sort of going through and then sort of when you went through your six rounds of IVF and then, you know, moved on to surrogacy, um, what were their sort of reactions like with those that you did sort of talk to about? Sure. It? Everyone was um, very supportive. 
when we mentioned to them, and they were very much supportive, you know, the best they can be. It's hard when someone goes through and has a negative result from an IVF cycle. You can be there, but there's not a lot you can do, you know, apart from be there and, and hold their hand and give them a big hug. But um, when it came to the time of looking into international surrogacy, I think a lot of people were surprised and were, because it was all the unknown to them as well. And, you know, hadn't heard of such a thing and were also, you know, in my book, my mum's actually written the afterwards. So there's quite a large chapter, um, which is my mum telling her story, watching us go through the whole process. And it's actually really beautiful because it's just written straight from the heart. And, you know, she says in it, uh, when she heard about us doing this international surrogacy, she was just like, there was just no stopping these two. You know, she goes, we were really surprised and really sceptical, but there was no stopping them. And um, just could not believe that we were going through these steps and we sat them down and went through the process with them. They're actually visiting us in Perth at one time and we said, this is what we need to do. And I still remember the looks on their faces. I'm like, okay, okay. Um, you know, but without them knowing how everything sort of happened through that whole process, they were like, oh, goodness me. Um, are they going to get handed the babies, you know, and, you know, everyone was a bit worried that it may not actually go as smoothly as it did. And now they just, you know, everyone was so happy for us when we got that initial pregnancy um, confirmation that, you know, sorry, was pregnant. Everyone was just all beside themselves. There was so many tears and, and happiness. And now I look at all those people and they have such a beautiful relationship with my kids. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I mean, it's sometimes it's, I think it's a bit hard for people to process, you know, IVF and then surrogacy because, again, it's just something that people, you know, who fall pregnant naturally and, and don't struggle to, to sort of conceive don't understand what it takes so it, that it's quite involved and it's not just a matter of going, oh, yeah, just choose, like, some random person to be an egg donor and some random person to be your surrogate. Like, you've got a, – there's a lot of things that you need to navigate with that. Sorry. That's so true. And, you know, and it's no one's to blame that they don't know because I know when I first started IVF, I knew nothing about it, you know. I was just going into the clinic blind and just expecting it all to work for me first time. And, you know, it was only after that first initial negative result that I went, right, I need to, you know, Take this. I was taking it seriously, but maybe look into things more. And that's when I started doing other treatments as well, um, like acupuncture and things. So that yeah. un- I think uncertainty, we... really. Oh, exactly. And I think, you know, like we're all at fault of that. Like sort of if you go in not knowing <laughs> nearly enough about IVF treatment, <laughs> you know, like you kind of walk in with your head in the clouds and just think, okay, I'm going to get my baby this way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And um, yeah, very yeah. Much. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't always work out. So, yeah, I think it's that's a really important point. Yeah, and I just really want um, to um, in even in my book, I I share what hasn't worked for me. I actually share stories of you know someone whose IVF stories worked for them or adoption story things like that because I don't want what did and didn't work for me to um, steer someone in a diff- in a direction sort of thing. You know, I just want to give them hope that, you know, there are other options out there and to keep on going because they can read my book and see how many times we were knocked down continuously. 
and how we got back up. So giving that hope and letting them know that they're not alone is just really, really important to me. Yeah, that's exactly right. Tiff, do you want to ask any questions? Yeah, so if you, not only for yourself, but for anyone else that may be in your position, if you could go back to the start and give yourself some advice, what would it be? Um, to be strong and to you know, do what was best for me um, without, you know, I, I probably am a bit over the top of an overthinker and also um, I care so much about other people that I would often put people before myself and, you know, now I say to people, you know, if you don't want to go to a baby shower, don't go, you know. Um, so look after yourself as a number one priority and, and be kind to yourself as well because, you know, it can be so heartbreaking and it is not like I look back and go, nothing to be ashamed of. It's not my fault. It is just life. And and that I would get there in the end. To know, you know, I wish we could all, all have that crystal ball that we were know we were going to get there. But, you know, to say those words to myself, um, yeah, would have made a massive difference. Because I think I was, at the beginning I was very hard on myself and I felt so alone. Um, did you want to tell us a little bit more about your book as well? Yeah, sure. So, um I'm just trying to think. <laughs> uh, well, I, I feel like I've, I've covered almost, like my book, as I said, is every little bit of my story. Um, I've given you the, the quick version here today, but there's a lot of research in my story as well, um, which would have been good for me to read at the beginning because, you know, I knew the basics and I got told about IVF at the beginning, but, you know, I didn't really know as much as I knew um, after going through a few cycles so got some research in there I do also talk a little bit about natural killer cells um, it's something that I'm, I'm quite fascinated with now and I listen to a lot of experts about it and also that there's the story of my that I said about my mum writing apart because I think that's such a a lovely bit to share because so many especially parents and siblings they don't know how to relate to you at times and also don't understand what you're going through so for them to read my story and also my mum's story I think um, has helped a lot of people I've been told you know to get a better understanding um, my book can be purchased um, on my website which is kellyharridan.com mm -hmm. we'll provide a link in the show notes I think right, thank you. yeah um, did you want to quickly uh, talk about your Fertility Expo as well. I was just having a read about that on the Survey Monkey. So you said you also run fertility expos and events. So did you want to chat to yep. us about that? Yes, certainly. I'd love to. Uh, so last year I held the first Sunshine Coast Fertility Expo, which was a, a great success. Um, and I had uh, guest speakers and other businesses from the fertility field there. It was the first time I did it and I was really pleased with it. I've since held a small, sorry, a smaller one in Noosa. Uh, the plan was this year, you know, we all had plans for 2020, was this year to hold uh, another expo on the Sunshine Coast, bigger and better, and I was also taking that expo to other locations um, in Queensland and then eventually down into New South Wales. However, everything for 2020 has pretty much gone out the window. Uh, make the hard decision of postponing 
um, all my expos until 2021. Uh, the first one will be February 27th uh, on the Sunshine Coast. That's the first one. And more dates will be announced for other locations as I um, get on to postponing and planning those as well. Uh, with the expo, especially the Sunshine Coast one, it's going to be quite a, a great event. I've got some awesome speakers, awesome businesses there that, you know, things that you may not even think of or um, such, a, such a large range, you know, in that whole fertility field. So it's quite exciting. There will be guest speakers as well on the day. Uh, I know people, you know, struggle. It's not like you're going to, say, you know, a gardening show or something, you know, everyone just walks around. But people are quite private and... Um, when it comes to their infertility story or their fertility journey. And so I know people may not feel comfortable, so I've done everything I can to make it a, you know, really beautiful, nurturing space uh, where people can come in their time and have a look and talk to businesses. It didn't work really well uh, last year, so I was really pleased with the reaction. And I've made some really strong connections with a lot of people in the whole trying to conceive community who now come to me and and let me know their results as they go through IVF so I, I'm really you know pleased that I can now be that support person for other people mm -hmm. yeah I think the fertility expo is a great idea because like not only is it yeah you you there's things there that you might not even think about but there's also you know that's a great way to connect with women or couples or people who are also going through the same thing and yeah I just think it's a really it's also a really great way to sort of knock down that stigma surrounding it so other people don't feel that they need to keep it a secret because no one knows about it and no one understands so I think that's really great you know you go through the space and you see people there and they're all there for the same reasons that you are so it's just that whole community feel and um, knowing that you're not alone because I think so many people feel that they are alone during that journey. And when I've held like the smaller Noosa events, the connections that people have made and they've since con you know, caught up and it, it's really beautiful to be able to do that. Um, so I've also taken on another part um, of my business as well, which has expanded again. Um, so Fertile Horizons is a um, fertility gift company and um, Andrew Fertile Horizons is no longer able to, due to other commitments, run the shop side of her business. So I'm going to be taking over that as well. So there's going to be another shop added to my website, which will have all, you know, all the beautiful pineapple things that we, we love and adore and is our little bit of hope in the community. So that's all happening over the next week as well. And I also am working on another book, which I hope to be out by the next expo of next year. Yeah, I think the Fertile Horizons, um, like the the gifts, you know, sort of geared towards infertility and stuff, such a good idea because sometimes you don't know what to get or like you want to get something and, yeah, yeah I think it's a great idea. I think it is as well. And, you know, I think I love the whole pineapple um, symbol around infertility because I think it's just this little secret that because a lot of people don't know the meaning around it. And if you've got something pineapple and it's a little bit of community, um, secret as well like I have pineapple sticker on my car and I've got so much pineapple stuff in my house so you know we all know the meaning behind it and it's just um, you know it's a nice little thing and when you see photos of people wearing the pineapple socks when they're going into their egg retrieval and that so it's kind of cute.
Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you sort of want to add before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I just wanted to, you know, give anyone that who may hear my story um, the opportunity to also reach out to me if they have any questions, uh, especially when it comes to the surrogacy side of things, because it is something that is becoming more known and more popular. However, if that's where you are in your journey now, you may just not even know how to start off um, or where to go first. So uh, I have connections as well that I've made with businesses that can help you out. And um, so, yeah, I just want to give anyone the opportunity to to jump on my site or email me and, and reach out to me. That's lovely. Thank you. We'll put all the contact details um, in the show notes for today's episode. Uh, Tiff, do you want to add anything? Or No, just thank you for sharing and, yeah, it's been very informative. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for sharing, yeah, and coming on the podcast and being willing to tell your story. Oh, thank you so much for having me, um, both of you girls. And uh, sorry I get so emotional sometimes. <laughs> I get a little bit embarrassed about how emotional I get because um, this morning, you know, I'm completely fine. And um, Ian's taken the kids out fishing. <laughs> so I could have quiet. And, um, you know, and then I end up a, a blubbery mess telling my story. <laughs> yeah, no, don't apologise for that. It's totally fine. I think, you know, there's times where we're interviewing and things like that and we sort of we get teary and emotional as well. So it's just all part and parcel of the name of the game, I think. You can't do it and not get emotional. Yeah, I agree completely. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story, we will pop the link in the show notes. Be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes, it lands straight into your listen now. If you could also leave us a review for the show, that would be so appreciated. No words are needed, just stars. If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us to get our show out and about to others experiencing fertility treatment. IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Vlad Gilyshenko. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.